You're listening to Break Your Ego, Find Your Soul with Ramsey Bergeron. Thank you for joining me today for a very special episode of Break Your Ego, Find Your Soul. Today is going to be a race recap about my swim around Key West, which I just did this past Saturday, and it was quite challenging. Uh, So those of you who are used to my usual coaching episodes, this one will be a little different. I am going to be interviewing Marcus, who was uh, Marcus Val, one of my best friends, known him for 25 years. He was my kayaker for this race as well, and I'm going to be talking with him. We're going to kind of get into what the training looked like what the race itself was like, what the life lessons were that we both kind of got from this. And I do have some questions that some people had written in and asked me about the race. So I am going to get into all of that. But first, let me welcome Marcus Val. Hey, Marcus. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. The soreness is, is easing out. Well, good. That's what I was going to ask. (laughs) Um, you know, for, for those of you that, uh, haven't read or seen or or heard about my race yet this past Saturday. Uh, we, we both went around Key West. I swam and Marcus was next to me the entire time in a kayak. And what initially I was anticipating for a seven hour round Island journey ended up taking eight hours and 48 minutes. So a little longer than uh, we anticipated for being in the water. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts on that, Marcus? (laughs) Well, honestly, it's if if we were expecting everything to go as planned, we were probably pretty naive. Um, so it's a uh, it's within the realm of of uh, of possibility. It wasn't a catastrophic uh, change of time, like it wasn't twelve or fourteen hours. Um, so I, you know, it was kind of as expected in that 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 sort of tolerance zone. Yeah, and you know, I I have some in- interesting statistics that I haven't shared with you yet. I have some numbers oh. based on my Garmin watch. So my moving time, the time of me actually moving in the water, was seven hours and thirty eight minutes. Okay. Then the total over. So that means we had about an hour and ten minutes of me stopped. Okay. Whether it be for fueling and nutrition, we'll kind of get into that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then we'll get into some of the other numbers here in a little bit. But I guess I kind of want to talk about why why did I sign up for this and why the hell did you agree <laughs> to go along on this journey with me? Uh, I first heard about this race. I was doing a Ragnar, which is another insane race. Uh, it was a group relay where we ran from Miami to Key West. And we did it as a relay. So there were, I think, six of us. And this was back in 2014. And I'd never been to Key West. I'd never been to the Keys before. And when we got there, it was a lot of fun. And someone said, you know, there's a race where you can swim around this island, right? I thought, oh, my God, like that's pretty damn hardcore. <laughs> and for some reason, that always just kind of stuck in my head that that was even an option. And I remember before, like Marcus used to live out here in Arizona, and Marcus and I have known each other since 97. And when Something you moved like to Florida, um, and I told you I was going to do this race, you were kind enough to volunteer and say, hey, if you need a kayaker, I'm your guy. Yeah. Well, um, I guess the, what did you, whenever you agreed to it, what, what, what did you think it was going to entail at that point? Um, honestly, I, I, uh, I think my idea of what it was going to entail, it was roughly accurate, but I had no sort of concept of how long of a race that would be. Um, like I wasn't expecting an entire working day. Um, but, um, I kind of assumed that that would be, well, I think my first impression was that I would be more there for a, in case you get in trouble and need to be like pulled out or something like that. Right. Um, the, uh, the nutrition management part of it, I I assumed was going to be part of it. I didn't know that it would be that sort of involved, I guess. Um, I didn't know what I expected, um, but it was a lot more uh, involved than than I was expecting. But it was fine. I mean, it was it was certainly within the realm of possibility. One of the things that I did not anticipate is that how big of a role my individual navigation was going to play yeah. on both of our abilities to stay on that race course. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I guess I expected like a lot more buoys or something like that. I don't know. But I mean, it's, it's not practical for those to be there because it's, it's a lot of public waterway. Um, so they would be in the way of like boats that have nothing yeah. to do with the race. Very, 
very public and, and we'll get into that in, in a little bit yeah. as well. So part of, uh, I guess, why now? So one of the questions I, I have had um, from Marianne in New York, who she asked several questions, I'll address them uh, as they kind of come up in the episode. But the first one is, is why, why are you doing this? And, um, you know, this is, the I got first, that one a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first endurance race I've done since I've, shifted my mindset towards life. So I've done eight full distance Ironmans before, but that for me was always a sense of validation. It was always a sense of having to prove myself that mm -hmm. I was worthy. And this was very different. So what I've been trying to do for the last year and a half is be present in the moment. And I ended up finding myself in a place what I call the drift, where mm -hmm. I, I wasn't as focused as much on the long-term goal setting in regards to my physicality, like in regards to growing my business, things like that, I was. But I was just coasting from a personal standpoint. And back in January, actually, you know what? I take that back. When I went to New Zealand in February and I came back from that, I decided, you know what? F it. I'm going to start setting goals again. Mm -hmm. But an Ironman did not appeal to me. I, I realized I was doing those because I thought other people wanted me to do them. Running is not something I enjoy in the slightest, especially I'm 44. I've had two back surgeries. I don't enjoy running. I really enjoy swimming. And I, I joined a men's group and it really wanted, it, it motivated me to start my own, but it, it helped galvanize me into taking action. And so I said, okay, what is there a goal I can do that I want to do, but that's also scary enough to get me motivated to engage into a different level of discipline that I felt I needed because I was I needed something to aim for and uh, that's why I signed up for this race. So I did and you were kind enough to say yes and uh, we, we we started. So yeah that, that's kind of the origin of why I signed up for it. Um, now training for this thing was challenging and mm. I say that because I, I <laughs> I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and the closest body of salt water other than an aquarium at a fancy lawyer's office here is probably the, the Gulf of, of Mexico. No, like a Gulf of California down there, Rocky Point. I've never been to Mexico. So how the hell do I train for this thing? Hmm. So I was comfortable swimming. The longest swim I've ever done up to this point was 2.4 miles in an Ironman. Hmm. And this is significantly longer than that. So hmm. um I started training in a pool, swimming for two and three hours at a time, having to get music players, and a pool is only 25 yards. So it's 880 lengths of that is the race. So quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's, I started doing that. So Marcus, I don't know, did you do any training for this? And if so, what, what did it look like? I did. I've, uh, a lot of it I focused on kind of a more of an endurance thing like running and things like that because i knew that there was no way like i'm not going to the gym and getting on the rowing machine and staying there for eight hours <laughs> so that's it's difficult to train for something like this uh, you know as you well know um but even in a kayaking capacity the kind of thing that i would need to do to simulate what's going to be expected of me is hugely impractical. So I kind of focused on just endurance and just in general, um, and uh, kind of just relying on my own tenacity when I get into the into the situation, which has helped me in the past. Yeah, and and to your point, like you know, there's only so much swimming in a pool I can do to get ready for this. There's only so much like rowing you can do to get ready for this. So Marcus and I decided. Um, to head to Hawaii in early May because we don't know what we don't know. And, exactly. you know, based on other uh, either races or hikes that I've done, you never want to try, you, you never want it to be race day or go time to be the first time that you're trying something. Yeah. So uh, I've got a lot of, uh, I've been to Hawaii several times in the last year. It's not that far of a flight for me. For Marcus, it's a little further, but he's never been. A bit. So, um, in May, Marcus and his girlfriend, Emily, were kind enough to fly out there, and we <laughs> we experimented. That sounded really bad. Marcus and I tried to, 
um, we, we got on the water and, and saw what will this look like? We had all these notions of, of how is he going to get me nutrition? Because not only, like Marcus was saying, not only does he have to navigate, he has to navigate, find where we're going. And I know you think, well, aren't you just going around an island? Well, it's more complicated than that. We'll get into yeah. that. But he had, to, he had to give me nutrition while continuing to row um, at the same time. And so we and also manage my own nutrition. I'm out there for eight hours myself. So, oh yeah, you had to eat and drink. God forbid yeah. you, you actually survive <laughs> as well, which actually came into play. Um, so, so figuring out how does Marcus hand me nutrition? So we had tried tying ropes around the, the bottles that were kind of like the bike water bottles. So there's a little indention mm -hmm. in them and then tying the other end of the boat. Well, okay. I could get the rope and then find the bottle and then drink from it. And then Marcus has to reel it back in. And so Marcus, tell me about mm -hmm. kind of your, what, what you experienced trying to go kind of going through that. Yeah. I mean, at, at first blush, that seemed like the obvious way to go. Um, you're out in the water. I'm, and, and we were also under the impression that I could not hand you anything. We thought that a direct connection to the boat would be a disqualifying thing. So that was also, and it turned out to not necessarily be true. Um, so we were laboring under that assumption, but given that it did seem like throwing a something out there that's hooked to a rope would be fine. And once we started doing it, um, I found that by the time I reeled it back in, you're already way down the line. I've got to speed up to get to where you are. And then now I have to start thinking about the next bottle. Do I, I take the rope off of this one and put it on another one? It ended up being a lot more complex and just frankly unmanageable than, uh, than I had anticipated. Um, even given things like I, you know, using carabiners instead of tying and, and all these sort of ways to make things move ostensibly quickly, it was not remotely quick enough. And, and it was basically a, a matter of, of overthinking. It was just sort of making things more complicated than they needed to be. Because as you know, we ended up just handing you bottles and yeah. uh, that worked perfectly fine. Well, and for those of you that are listening to this, that are considering doing this swim, there are a couple of, of really key things I want to point out. Now, there are two different organizations that coordinate swims around Key West. There is the College of the Florida Keys annual uh, swim around Key West. And then there is a um, another one that I think is just called Swim Around Key West. <laughs> and yeah. I... I, and I we, I did the one, or I say we, we participated in the one that was sponsored by the College of the Florida Keys around Swim uh, Key mm -hmm. West. This is important because the two organizations from everything I have read since doing this event, they are run very differently. Mm. Where the Swim Around Key West that's sponsored by the uh, college, it's run mainly by one woman. And she has the best of intentions. And it's just not as well supported now, there are some pros and cons to that. Now, mm -hmm. in the other race, if you hold on to the boat, you're disqualified. If you touch on, if you touch the bottom, technically you're disqualified. Yeah. So the fact that there were no boats out there for the last three miles of the race, I mean, that's a little disheartening whenever you run into some challenging situations, but there's no right. rule Nazis out there. You know, if it's challenging, you can hang on for a second just to catch your breath. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't like hang on the boat, like go and add Marcus paddle or anything. So <laughs> I will say it's a little bit more, uh, racer friendly. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of like the difference between the, the challenge, challenge triathlon and Ironman triathlon where the challenge series seems to be a more, bit more of a racer's race. So those two organizations are very different. And the other one raced the first weekend in June. So June 3rd, which was two weeks prior, which also could make a difference when it comes to the heat. So yeah. we're going to talk a little bit about some of the unforeseen challenges and obstacles that 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 we had going into this race. And Marcus, I know you live in Florida. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me what you thought about the temperature and race conditions on race day. Yeah. So as you said, I live in Florida, I live in central Florida, um, if that gives anybody an idea of the kind of weather that I'm used to. And it was certainly hot here. But I was not prepared for the heat that we were encountering in Key West. It was a lot hotter than I expected. Um, and certainly, um, and I know you'll speak to this, but the the water temperature was also sort of almost alarmingly hot. Um, and while we didn't run into a whole lot of 
wind and surf and things like that. And we did some, but I mean, like compared to what we saw in Hawaii, it wasn't much, but, um, but it was still just oppressively hot and just walking around Key West the day before the waste, I was derringed. Yeah. Uh, when we finally got to a restaurant, I, <laughs> I had to sit in front of an actual air conditioner vent and uh, even that didn't uh, cool me down for a good 45 minutes or so. And, it was and, and watching your toasty. glasses, it reminded me of my last time to Florida whenever I, before I had LASIK back in 2014, I would walk, walk uh, outdoors and my glasses would fog up instantly yeah. just for <laughs> humidity and watching you with, with your glasses struggle with that. So I guess, you know, going through the race, we'll go through it kind of logistically and talk about mm -hmm. like, like, or uh, I guess uh, chronologically. So race morning, we get down there and I felt pretty good. Um, you know, I didn't, before the Ironman, I usually have all kinds of, oh my God, what's going to go wrong. And mm -hmm. I guess to, to back up the week before the race, you know, I was having a little bit of issues with my left shoulder. And in the past I would have been like, oh my God, this is going wrong. That's going wrong. My shoulder's hurting. Mm -hmm. And I intentionally, I don't even want to say intentionally, I, I caught myself doing that. And I said, all right, well, my shoulder simply is what it is. What, mm -hmm. what about all the great things I've got going into this? You know, um, the fact you were going to be there, the fact that I felt moderately trained, I was sick the last couple of weeks beforehand. I didn't get as much swimming in for the two weeks prior, but that was okay. I didn't push myself. Like mm -hmm. I, I tried to swim a week before that and I got maybe 45 minutes down in the pool. And, I'm, and in the past, I'm like, no, I have to get a two hour swim in to get ready for this. And it's like, well, Ramsey, why don't you just listen to your body? So I, I, my mindset was very, very different this time in, in that um, I was going down there to experience the race. I wasn't going down there to finish it. And th that mm. might sound trivial, but it is a huge difference in mindset when you go to have the experience as opposed to going to have the outcome. Right, yeah. And, you know, so, and, and I, I get into that because we, we get in the water and, uh, you know, I guess it's all relative, right? So like if you're, if you're driving, the road seems flat, but when you're on a bike, you're aware there's a hill, right? Yeah. <laughs> so in a kayak, maybe the, maybe the waves didn't seem so bad, but swimming, the, the start was a lot choppier than I had anticipated. Granted, it wasn't Hawaii level, but yeah. it was choppy. Yeah. And especially that like where we started and stopped because it was a circle around the, the island. So the, the first leg was very much the same as the last leg in that regard. And that was definitely open to open sea. So we were dealing a lot more with it in those parts. And, and, it, and it's particularly disheartening, I know for you, certainly for me, for the last part of this enormously long race to suddenly have that as a new X factor that you haven't been dealing with necessarily the entire time. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that, that was pretty, that was pretty, uh, pretty crazy. That was. And, and so, so starting off though, like you're saying, so we get in the water, they get the kayaks lined up, the relay teams go off first and they have boats out there because they're the, That's some the of them are two suckers. person relays, some are four, some are six. And so there's boats out there that have the rest of the swimmers in them. And I know you were cursing you're like, damn it, these people have boats. <laughs> um, but the, the reason that that became challenging is until the pack thinned out, I was breathing boat fumes at like yeah. every turn. And man, that is nauseating when you're trying to swim. I was shocked at, because ostensibly they were supposed to take off half an hour before we did. Um, and it really ended up just kind of being... It wasn't so five or I, 10 I, minutes. I think, was, I think it was 10 minutes they were supposed to. It ended up literally being three. Yeah. It was so much shorter than, than what it was supposed to be. Um, and then we get out there and not not a half mile in, um, I'm swimming and another kayak runs over me because yes. they're not looking where their swimmer is. They come at an angle and I can't hear it. And it's so just getting like, all right, just not letting it fluster me because I still have 12 miles to go. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> And, and we just, you know, kept on going. So um, I know the first kind of, I don't want to say bump, but, you know, you and I coordinated a feeding and stuff. And then when it came time, like, I know I, I grabbed some food for you. It's supposed to be every, we we're going to do every 30 minutes. And then right. when we saw how hot it was, we shortened it to 20. All right. Every 20 right. minutes, yeah. give me food. And we were using tailwind nutrition. And we, we realized that most of what I brought was caffeinated, which I'm like, I don't want caffeinated. At the end of the day, it ended up being a lifesaver. But after 15 minutes, I drank some. And then 
it, it went on for what felt like an eternity. I'm like, oh my God, he hasn't flagged me down yet. And then I go, hey, I need some food. And you're like, well, yeah, feeding was like 10 minutes ago. You didn't say anything. And or you said something, but I couldn't. Right. Hear. I had said something to you and yeah. you had said, okay. And I think maybe there was a miscommunication there because I, yeah. I thought that you were like, okay, this is the first one. I think I'm going to just push through this. Yeah. And, and you must have thought I was saying something else and acknowledging that and just a, a total crosswire situation. Yeah. I was giving you like at a party when someone's talking, you're like, yeah, that's crazy. Like you just do, you don't hear what they're saying. You just kind of <laughs> right. like, oh, wow, that's wild. So, cause I didn't hear you. And so then once I realized it was 10 minutes past my feeding, I remember, like, all right, so let's communicate. I asked for like a, a hand sign yep. and that worked out tremendously well. Like the yeah, rest great. of the race, that worked out well. Glad we, 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 we figured that out. So we, we round the bend there about two miles in and my goggles just will not stop leaking. And thank God I brought a backup pair that you had and switched those out. And they were more mm -hmm. tinted, which helped because I then was facing, I always slide to the right and I'm facing east at that point. So like 9.30 in the morning, I was facing the sun every time my head came up. So so switching those goggles out helped a lot. Tell me what your thoughts were when we came to the Coast Guard base and what happened there about a mile further than that. Yeah. So at that point, and again, as we talked about, these are public waterways. So I don't know necessarily how this is avoidable, but there was a very large Coast Guard vessel that needed to dock um we go right by a base like you said and there's an inlet there that is coast guard their coast guard harbor essentially where all the, the ships come in and dock and there was one coming in and we had a we had a, a boat come out and say we need everybody to stop while this with this ship goes by and it's an enormous ship and that was like we had no indication that this might happen and so it was difficult to try to figure out what we would, what we were supposed to do. Um, so, I mean, there's nothing for it. We can't just like disobey this and just run over by a giant boat. So um, we had to deal with it. And so we, we stopped and I communicated to you because you were swimming. And so the boat that communicated the need to stop did so to me. And then I passed the, the uh, message off to you. And then that puts you in a situation where you have this, I mean, imagine if it was that other race, right? Like the, the ones that, that would DQ you for touching bottom or for touching the boat or, or whatever, yeah. what were you supposed to do in that regard? You would DQ yeah. yourself if you found yourself needing to stop yeah. swimming, which, I mean, I know you can tread, but I mean, Oh, treading. I, I'm not a very good water treader at all. And, and yeah. you know, to, to your point, and it wasn't just waiting for the boat because the boat had to wait for the swimmers that were already in front of it, right. not just to get out from in front of the boat, but far enough away to where it's a safe distance. Yeah, so the boat's waiting point. for other swimmers. I'm waiting for the boat who's waiting for other swimmers. This turns into like the lady that swallowed the, 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 <laughs> right. the catch the fly. And it literally, so according to my watch, it was 11 minutes we were stopped there. So 11 minutes <laughs> added up. Because then when we came around the corner there, there was a channel and the day before a packet pickup, it's like, oh, when you get to that channel, the current's just going to suck you right through. You're going to be gaining <laughs> right. so much momentum and speed there. And I'm getting the channel and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm not swimming very fast at all. And then yeah. the, the first checkpoint is under a bridge there. And the lady in charge is sitting on top of the bridge and we're shouting out race numbers. And I'm, I'm holding on to the kayak just with one hand, just listening to her. And I notice son of a bitch, we're, we're floating backwards. Going backwards. And she goes, well, just paddle forward a little bit. It's all right. We'll allow it. I'm like, no, it, it, you know? And then once I recognized we were drifting backwards and I started swimming because the, the course is, it's pretty shallow. So most of the course is between four and 10 feet deep. Mm -hmm. And there's beautiful like seaweed at the bottom. Not a lot of fish. I think it's too hot even for fish, but the seaweed I then noticed was, was, was drifting towards me. And that is not a sign you want to see when swimming because that no. meant for what ended up being, I would say, eight miles, I'm swimming against the tide and the current. Yeah, essentially so, uphill. Yeah. So I, I usually would average about two miles an hour, and I was slowed down to about 1.6 based mm -hmm. on, my, on my watch, <laughs> which is significantly slower. Yeah. And kind of a buzz killer, right? So, but, but I remember being out there and thinking like, oh my God, I've still got eight miles to go. I still, and then catching myself similar to when I was focusing on my shoulder. 
Mm. And I would say, you know what? All right, well, I'm here now. I get to play in the ocean. Why don't I just swim and enjoy the damn thing? So shifting my mindset to all of the, well, the tides against me and I had to stop for this fucking boat. And then, oh, and then at one point, when actually we're stopping the Coast Guard boat, Marcus, talk about what you were going through with your nutritional and hydration challenges. Yeah. So um, like focusing on, on yours, I completely neglected my own and that was unfortunate, it, but it was one of those things where I was, I had kind of deceived myself into the idea that I'm just paddling a boat. You know, I'm what, what do I need that's super special? I, I'll, I'll take some granola bars. I'll take a couple of those goo packets um, for like a quick thing, but drink wise, I just kind of went with water and thinking that it was not going to be as strenuous as it was. And it was. And on top of that, the heat was also a, an unexpected and unlooked for X factor. And um, not just the heat, but like when I had the gear on that I would, cause I got one of those sort of looks like a fisherman's vest. Yeah. that has got a whole bunch of pockets pockets on it because I wanted a lot of things with an easy reach. Your, your replacement uh, goggles, for instance, um, I was able to come out with those real fast because that's, they were in one of those pockets. And that also was a bit of an insulator too, because not just the, like a, the vest was pretty well insulated with all that junk in there. It kind of weighs it down and that kind of caused the problem. And so I just kind of went into this, this sick feeling that I mistook for seasickness at first. I was like, Oh Lord, I didn't take the Dramamine like I meant to. Um, so this is going to, so and, and we had gone through the choppy water. So it all yeah. kind of, added up and made sense and i was like maybe if we get into this sort of harbor area the the yeah. mooring fields as they call it maybe that'll chill out but it was just like Ugh, it's just not going away and and uh, yeah. it was really oppressive and uh so it turns out um that the just neglecting that part of my of my preparation uh left me without enough electrolytes basically yeah. And so, and you were like, I recognize that you need electrolytes. Thank God my personal training. Thank God my personal training background kicked in. It was the noon tablets because I saw your water didn't have anything in it. Like, Marcus, you need mm. electrolytes stat. And I'm like, we, we can stop going right now. And I was like, even I told you to drink out of one of my water bottles if you needed to because it had noon in it. And right. I, I'm so glad that you felt better um, because you were... I've known you for over two decades and you're generally pretty quiet when it comes to your needs. And for you to share that you weren't feeling well, I knew it had to be bad. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I'm so glad you shared it and didn't man up, you know, and for those of you that don't want to man up and talk about your emotions, I have an emotional intelligence course for men starting next Monday, but, but to really man up and share, Hey, I just don't feel good. And because of yeah. that, it allowed me to, to be able to, we, we troubleshot it together, but I will admit there was a very selfish part of me. That said, sweet, I can quit this race and it's not even my fault. <laughs> like, I'm like, we're going to have to took it at that point. I would have been like, I'll take the, I'll take I'm the like, bullet. We're going to have to drop out because of Marcus. And I'm like, are you sure you want to go on? And you're like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right, if you're sure. And that was literally like only three miles in. But then I'm like, Ramsey, don't be like, your friend's hurting. And so that's why <laughs> I then legitimately, I mean, I legitimately cared about you to begin with, but, well, I appreciate but, wanted, <laughs> but, but wanted to make sure that you were okay. So that yeah. happened right when we stopped for the Coast Guard vessel. We we had that conversation. So maybe mm. that's a good thing. We may not have had that conversation had we not stopped for the Coast Guard vessel. Or, you know, it would have been one of those things where, like, since we were stopped, I was able to, because I had, you know, like camelback bladders stuck behind the seat. They weren't like yeah. in a, in a uh, backpack or anything, but they were essentially in that same position. And so the one that I was drinking out of at the time was right here. And I don't know, like getting that out, undoing the top, opening it up, getting th exactly three noon tablets out and put them in there. Yeah. And then, you know, like shaking them up and kind of getting all of that prepared is a very kind of involved process that yeah. would not have been, would have extremely problematic trying to do that and in normal race mode. Yeah. Um, because I mean, it was something that honestly should have been done before the race. And yeah. so, 
uh, since it wasn't, and we did have that opportunity, that did provide a great uh, opportunity to take care of that without it yeah. causing too many complications. It was. And, and so, so jumping back just a little bit to where we were after we came under where we supposedly were going to be launched for, but we're slowed down. Yeah. We came to what they call the mooring fields, which sounds really cool. There's a bunch of boats moored in this Harbor there mm -hmm. and the water is generally shallower and it's, it was really kind of a cool place to swim because you're just swimming between all these sailboats. I remember even cracking a, a joke or two with you there for a second. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that's when we first, you said the first people that you remember getting pulled out that had dropped out of the race or maybe shortly yeah. before that. That's when we talked about it for a second. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was just before we made that turn into the channel thing that you're talking about is, is when I heard about that um, because yeah, somebody had talked about, and they were part of a relay, so they weren't doing the full race themselves um and they had talked about cramping up really bad and and, and, the, and the reason they were talking about it and the reason i was hearing about it is because he was already on shore and he was at a at a building that had kind of a an overlook uh to where we were and then he was yelling over to one of his team that was on the the boat that was his team um which with the boat not knowing that he was out, it's kind of interesting because I don't know how that well, happened. Some, 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 there were groups. So sometimes there were two different teams as part of the same organization. Uh, okay. So he might have been like a, a, the, a B team and he was talking to the A boat. So that could have mm -hmm. been probably what's going on. Okay. There. That makes yeah, sense. For a boat not to realize it, it makes, makes sense. <laughs> and so once I heard the people were already dropping bomb. out. Yeah. And once I already heard the people were dropping out, that kind of gave me, um, I'm like, okay, good. This is tough. Yeah. You know, it yeah, helped yeah. Me, make me feel like, I'm, am I just being a, a wuss out here? And it made me realize, all right, this is challenging. So we get to the mooring fields and the, the, the seaweed is just floating against me. And because the water is so warm, there is, a, I, I have never swam through more seaweed in my life. Mm. There was a lot at the bottom, but there's also a lot floating on the top. And then I would, I would take a stroke and then my hand would go in the seaweed and as I would swim, it would come and cover my face and get wrapped around my shoulder and then drift off of me. Which is great if it's just seaweed, but there were inevitable jellyfish in there as well. Mm -hmm. So that caused a couple of issues that I wasn't even really aware of until later because it was stinging. But what the hell am I going to do? Right. And um, then we kind of get to around the I think it's called Dredger's Key. It's this other small island you got to swim mm -hmm. around on the north side of Key West. And then comes the, this the the second open body of water that. Well, yeah. navigation really comes important. So I'll let you kind of take about so so because you, you so for those of you that don't know, when you're swimming in open water, I can't really look up. I have to look to the side and see where Marcus is pointing the kayak, and that's where I go. I just follow the kayak. So mm -hmm. he he is the eyes of the operation. So the mooring fields, to give a bit of a contrast to what we came up against later. The mooring fields where it was a big bo wide body of water that was open on both sides. You, most of the time we have a shoreline on one side or the other, usually the right side while we are going. So it's easy to navigate in that regard. Um, but when we came to the mooring fields and when we came to this other inlet later, there's nothing on either side and you have to just cut across a big wide open swath of water. Now in the mooring fields, you, were, you aimed at a spot where you saw a tree line come down and end and it was a very distinct point that you can aim for with your boat when we came to that other inlet which was larger um and as we found out later much 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 deeper um there was just this shoreline and you're supposed to be heading towards this inlet but from whatever it was two thousand feet away you can't see it you know and yeah. so i had my, my the map out trying to figure out what they were talking about on the map about the square roof, which was, uh, that was what I was supposed to aim for the square roof, aim for the square roof and the mangroves. Problem is every, every building on that Island was square. Yeah. And so 2000 yards trying to tell what a mangrove tree yeah, is. is I, I'm not sure I can do that from two yards. I, I can definitely <laughs> not do it from 2000. And um, so I, I, that is useless to me. That, that piece of information I now, to put this in perspective, I'm a GIS analyst as my day job. Maps are my thing. And so 
you know, I was now having to pull from that kind of expertise to try to get us pointed in the right direction. Because the absolute last thing I want to do is aim for the wrong spot and put more distance on your race because oh, yeah. we were going in the wrong direction for a little bit. Yeah. And from the point that we started to the point we were ostensibly going to end a tiny degree of deviation from your course will end up being a lot of distance by the time yeah. you get there and realize you're in the wrong spot. So I had my and phone out. Quick, and I was, that's, yeah. that's a great metaphor for life also. So for yeah. those of us that think like, you know, that, that's why you course correct along the way whenever you're working on a project or you have a goal or something like that. Because if you're one degree off, that might not make a big difference now. But if you keep heading in the wrong direction and you're not yeah. course correcting, you are going to be so far away from your goals. And, and that's there, there's so many little lessons like that in this race that I want to get to at the end here. But just right now, while, while that's fresh in my mind, you, you, you illustrated it beautifully, right? Like it could just be a small deviation. But yeah. if you don't take accountability or you don't, don't take action, that's a huge deficit down the road. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow, not so much, but six months down the road, yeah. Uh, huge. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, now I've got, I'm trying to get my phone out and because I got to see my GPS and see where this inlet is from a bird's eye perspective. Cause it's the, the print on the map is yeah, it's not so big. Right. So I want to be able to zoom in see where we are. And uh, so now that there's like this new uh, activity I have to do in this boat. <laughs> so, uh, but I had it figured out. I, I, uh, I had to reason it out, uh, which was a little, unnerving because then you're like wow what if you're wrong yeah um, but uh i was literally uh, i had literally no other better information so i yeah. had to go with what i had and uh and it ended up being right when i when i looked at i was so happy when you sent me the uh the map that showed our our course of course yeah and i was like i nailed it yes but um but yeah it was scary for a bit but i had to like you know sally forth and trust in my yeah. instincts or whatever, and, you know? And, and why this is an issue for those of you that don't know, I'll try to include a map that Marcus is talking about, the, the Garmin tracking of our actual course versus the race course. There were a couple of spots where I deviated when I hit some shallow water. But, you know, we pretty much, yeah, as he said, hit that inlet. But you're not just swimming around Key West. You're swimming around two islands. There's there's that, what I, I, mm -hmm. I think it's called Dredger's Key, just I think north that's of right, that. Yeah. And so that's why there's two open bodies of water because you're aiming kind of off an intercept point from one island to hit the far end of dredgers coming around the top of that. And then when you're heading towards Key West, Key West sits up against another key with a small channel that's maybe 30 yards across in between them. It's and they're that. both tree-lined and you can't see because it's not a straight shot in between that channel. So there's trees lining the channel so you cannot see it from 2000 mm -hmm. yards away. So that's what Marcus is having to aim for while giving me nutrition, while looking on his phone, while himself eating. And at this point then a cross current comes in where he's getting blown back into me. So the current was coming at an angle where I, he kept hitting me with either. And, and I could, whenever I was breathing, he wasn't putting the oar in the water and I felt bad for him because he knew he would hit me. So he was just paddling with the right side, which makes the problem worse because then it pulls him into me. Yeah. And, and so it was one of those catch 22s where eventually he had to just go on the other side of me, which was challenging for me because I couldn't see him at all at that point, yeah. but it made sense for safety. And I'm so, I couldn't think of another human being I would have wanted to do this race with because Marcus can be one of the most cool, calm, collected human beings I know under pressure. And we were both cursing at each other. And so for, for, Marcus, for, for Marcus to get, and I knew that we would calm back down and we, we'd be over it, but yeah. we, were, we were both just very frustrated. This also is a time of the race where I was the most terrified. And mm -hmm. I use the word, I don't use the word terror lightly because it had been shallow for mm, seven miles at that point. And then all of a sudden, I'm swimming and then the bottom just drops. And it's kind of like in the movie, The Abyss, when they just step off the edge. Yeah. Like I couldn't see the bottom, even though the water's clear. I could see my hand out in front of me and the water, which was in the upper 80s and lower 90s, became cold. Yeah. So now I don't see bottom. The water is cold. I'm exhausted. And Marcus is drifting a little bit away from me because he's he's on his phone navigating, which, which I, I can't fault him for. Yeah. The terror of I'm about to get eaten filled me. And I had to work to bring the heart rate back down. I'm like, all right, Ramsey. Well, first off, if something's going to eat me, it's going to eat me. Like there's nothing I can do about it. Mm -hmm. And just breathe and just swim. Like I'm okay. I'm here. 
the faster I get to the other side, the less this is going to be an issue. But I remember telling Marcus, I'm like, Marcus, I'm scared. Please stay close to me. And I remember just feeling incredibly vulnerable. That I literally wanted to jump out of the water onto the kayak, um, you know, or do the the, the cartoon or, or the lizard that runs across the surface of the water. Right. I was scared, and I really appreciate you being there for me and and uh, and not making fun of me in that moment. No, as soon as you said that, um, like my what mode I was in changed. Um, because I'm frustrated. I'm dealing with the map like you're talking about. I'm trying to figure out like the, the signal isn't great and, and dealing with the phone anyway isn't isn't all that great. And and so that was its own frustrations. But as soon as you told me I am scared of this situation, that's when I was I suddenly was like, okay, my now my main focus is not just like I didn't feel like I was protecting you from the sharks because what could I do about a shark? But I was, I'm glad you didn't bring that up then. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I was like, well, we're not going to tell him that. I mean, I can whack it with the paddle, but that's about as much as I got. But um, yeah, the the uh, I knew that at that point then I needed to be I needed to be like that that anchor point for you, and and so I I got closer and I was like, all right, I'll I'll try to deal with the this thing while I'm doing this, but I'm trying to stay as close to you as I can. But like you said, I had to be on your, on your other side because the current, like my concern for your safety, if I wanted to be on your, your correct side, I'd whack you in the head with the boat. And so that kind of defeats the purpose. So, um, so yeah, I had to do, you know, what I could do to be there and make sure that you knew I was there. And, and then speaking of getting whacked by a boat, like, so we, we finally get across the second channel and close to the inlet. Oh God! And at that point it was like, you know, a, a jet ski parade comes out of this resort. It's like the Sons of Anarchy Key West version came out on on a good dozen uh, and spaced out too. So it took the most amount of time for them to get by. Yeah, and 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 some full sized boats were coming through yeah. there. None of them had any you know qualms about any wake zone or anything. They're just going right. So they're 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 kicking up wake, and now. You know, I, I've just swam across this. I've, and whenever you're scared and your heart rate spikes, um, you burn through a lot of energy. Your heart rate goes up. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that are that are actually race people, my heart rate average for this race was 161 beats per minute was the average, and my max heart rate was 185. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm 44 years old, and and to keep my heart throttled that high for that long, isn't healthy. Mm -hmm. So once those guys all came through there. Uh, you know what? About that same time, a race boat finally shows up, and I say, "Hey, how far are we?" <laughs> oh, you're about you're you're about halfway. Yeah. And at that point, I knew, like, I had that we were about seven miles in on my watch, or eight miles in. I had eight, and for him to say I was halfway was so disheartening because we had so already been twelve swimming. and a half miles total. Yeah. So seven and eight miles past halfway by yeah. a good bit. And I'm thinking like, oh my God, is this going to take me 10 hours? Like based on what he was telling me, it was going to take me 10 hours. And that was disheartening. And then once we get past all those jet skis and we finally get into this other channel that we find, and that's about an hour later, there's this guy on the shore who the second check-in point. And so I yell, how far are we? And he goes, about halfway. And I, was like, I wanted to kill that guy. I was like, will you stop talking to my swimmer? <laughs> I will tell him how far we are if you're going to do something like that. <laughs> then he goes, "Oh, just up ahead is three fourths of is three fourths of the way." Like, how does that work mathematically? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like that's that's a three mile swing there we're talking about. Yeah. But but luckily, because this was the channel, everyone said, "Okay, the, the tide is going to be against you here." The advantage of having the tide being against me for the other eight miles we zipped through this little channel. Yeah, we did, and it helped so much. So. Um, I was averaging one and a half miles an hour, unfortunately, for the rest of the race. Here, I was going six miles an hour swimming. <laughs> so it was fantastic. And I was having to, to paddle backwards because like the surface would take me further than than it was taking you. And so I was like, crap, I've got to like back paddle. I gotta moonwalk. Yeah. And this this was another frustrating part because even though the, the, the channel is so narrow, there's so much silt in it, it's, there's only a, a very maybe Gosh, I would say 10 yards wide area that's deep enough for boats. 
Otherwise, I literally had my belly hitting the bottom and it was just mm. silt for like two feet. So my hand is going into silt and I'm like crawling on the bottom of the ocean. And so I was trying to breaststroke because that one, I can't get anywhere like that. And two, I'm like, I don't know what creatures living in this silt that's going to, you know, like not, not eat me, but I don't want to get stung. I don't want to get bit. And it just, I couldn't get any speed going. And so we, we finally shifted and you're like, it's over this way. And I didn't know which way. And we, we finally get out of that into open water. And like you were saying, the last two and a half miles of the race is similar to the first two miles of the race. It's about a four mile stretch on the South side of the Island, maybe a little mm -hmm. longer. And the, the race started in the middle. So we're going clockwise. So now we have that last stretch. And at that point, I'm looking at my watch and it's saying 17,500. Me and my infinite wisdom couldn't remember if I set it to yards or meters. <laughs> so the race is uh, 20, 20 kilometers equals 12.5 miles. So 20,000 would have equaled the finish line if it was set to meters. 22,000 would have finished it if it's set to yards. And I didn't know which one I set it to. And so it's like, huh, how much? And so I, I didn't know if we were, you know, there's, there's a rather large discrepancy there. And there was a, this relay team of two girls and uh, a, a guy I'm assuming was one of their dads on a boat who we were kind of swimming along next to. And the water was so shallow at that point where I'm hitting, and it was the hottest it was all day. And I asked the guy in the boat, I'm like, do you have a temperature gauge on that? He goes, yeah. I said, what's it reading? He said, it's reading 90.4. Yeah. I know. I'm like, that's a radio station. That shouldn't be the temperature for the water I'm swimming. <laughs> right. um, and he goes, oh, and it's, uh, it's only 2.4 miles left to go. And that's the distance of an Ironman swim <laughs> that I had left to go. And we had already been swimming for five and a half hours at that point. The water's 90 degrees. And I'm like, fuck it. I quit. I can't do this. And mm. I remember trying to give up. <laughs> Now, when you're trying to give up, but you're in the middle of the ocean, you can't just walk to your car. Right. You know, there's, there's a giving up looks very much like not giving up because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the easiest way to give up at that point is just die. Just yeah, exactly. That's it. So I remember just sitting there and I'm like, what, what the hell do I do here? So we, we're trying to flag down an official boat. because I, 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 I literally wanted to quit. Now, would I have actually quit if a boat come up to me, I don't know. But at that moment, it's one of those, screw it, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I could have either gone to shore and, and cl climbed a 10-foot seawall to climb up onto the highway. Yeah, climbing. that's the other thing, wasn't it? Because we were, at, we were right next to Key West International Airport. There's no beach there. It's a giant seawall, and it goes a while. So that yeah. getting out at a beach was... Like like we were talking about, is almost the same distance as it would take to just finish the race. Yeah, and so that's why I said, yeah, I said, you know what, F it, I'm going to keep going, and if I if a boat comes to get me, great. If not, I'm going to see how far I can get. And so I, I I kept on swimming, and at one point the water was so hot, we we had this cooler that all of our liquid liquid nutrition was in, and we had some ice, but we also had these freezer packs that were in there. And I remember asking you for a freezer pack to stuff down the back of my swim shorts because I'm like, Marcus, I am overheating. I am a diesel engine. And that lasted all of three seconds before it was too hot to do any good. Mm -hmm. um, and on top of that, what I discovered later, my, my swimsuit had come down a little bit. So like that's, I kind of had plumber's crack hanging out. <laughs> and there was no sunscreen on the part of my back that was in between where it usually was and that. So my bare white, non having any tan ass had been baking in the sun for seven and a half hours. And I, it still looks like roast beef at the bottom of my back right now. It's so red. Speaking of that. Oh yeah. Marcus has an nice <laughs> And I'll, I'll talk about how, how that ended up for me. So the last two miles of the race is one of the swimmer who were kind of playing leapfrog with down, down the course. And the guy who was with the two relay girls they ended up making good speed. They were a relay team. So they were, one would get out, the other would get in. I don't think there was a set, you swim this far than I swim. I think that they yeah, just never wanted worked. to exchange they could have. I, I don't know. So we're, we're swimming and then there's a pier that we know the finish line's on the other side of the pier and I can't see the pier from the water. And you're like, it's the pier's up there. 
And finally I saw it, but, but seeing in the distance on water is so deceiving yeah. because you could see a lot further. Mm. Yeah. And, and, it, and it was trying to communicate. I was like, if you can see, like, if you see the horizon suddenly just take an imperceptible, almost, you know, dip, that's the pier. But I was like, until we get any closer, just follow me, I guess, because the pier is also so far out in the water that I don't want to get close closer to the shore than we need to because then we got to do that much more to get around the pier right yeah so and someone else to... the, the guy who's swimming kind of along next to us that's what he ended up having to do he was he was uh they went to the, they had to swim around the pier there there at the end so i thought they looked like they were too far in yeah so so we kept swimming towards the thing and the one thing i didn't even consider was the thing that has caused me the most pain in this race and that is salt mouth and yeah so <laughs> I'm still dealing with it. Having my tongue and mouth sitting in salt water for over nine hours because the race, the, the race took 850, but we paddled out there and we're waiting for the relays. Mm -hmm. I my mouth was hurting so bad because the salt ate through the lining that coats your throat and tongue. And it was helpful that the the the, the the tailwind or uh, nutrition you gave me did help replace that coat a little bit. And so did the, the brownies. So we, I, I always get uh, like dom brownies from Domino's, but we got it from a different pizza place. But it was so melted. Mark is just handing me handfuls of chocolate that I'm just shoving my mouth. And that did help as well. But it would burn so bad. And because we're back on the south side of the island where waves were coming in, whenever I would try to breathe, if I didn't time it right and I got a mouthful of salt water, Every swish was sandpaper in the mouth. And I would have to stop and say, I need, I need water. Because what went from a 20-minute feeding window went to a 15-minute, went to a 10. I think it was five. Like by the end there, I'm yeah. just like, I need water. I need water. I need water. And we went through 12 bottles. And then, and then you refilled one too, I believe. Yeah. 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 So we went through a lot of uh, liquid nutrition. And so, there was that bottle that the race people gave you that you just had full of water. Um, yeah, that was in your other beforehand. bag, and we used that one too. So I thought that once we got the pier, it was going to be another mile. So we, I told myself, when I get the pier, I'm quitting. I'm grabbing the pier. This mm. was about the journey anyway. I'm out here to enjoy this. I've had the experience. I, I wanted to come out here and challenge myself, and I did that. I, I got to spend mm -hmm. the day with my friend out here in the water. We pushed ourselves, and Godspeed, it was great. Right then, the guy who was the boat captain for that relay team of two girls came back around. The, at first I thought it was a race official, but it wasn't. He came back to find us. And it meant so much because he said, Hey, I just want you guys to know the finish line is just right around this pier. You were almost there. Like that gave me what I needed to finish that race. Mm -hmm. um, just that act of kindness. Um, Cause I was done. Like I had nothing left to think. And, and I will say though, there, there, that, when I'm talking about acts of kindness, brother, I could not have done this without you on so many levels. I mean, not, yes, you kept me alive physically, but you also kept me alive mentally and emotionally where there were times in the last two and a half mile stretch where, when I wanted, like you were concerned for my well being, not yeah. just, am I going to finish from an ego perspective, but dude, are you safe? Like the water's yeah. 91 degrees. We're almost out of water. Are you Okay. It wasn't, can you finish? It was, are you okay? Right. And that really meant yeah. a lot that you were, you were coming from a place of concern with that. Well, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that to your point about the, the pier and the guy coming back to tell you that the finish line is there, I can't, I, I don't know how else to do it, but having that finish line buoy be hidden behind something that, and you can't see it until you're on top of it, the psychological impact of that is clearly as demonstrated kind of daunting because you have no idea. You have no visual clue as to how close you are to the end. And it's amazing how motivating just seeing the finish line can be. And uh, it's, it's interesting that with it hidden behind that pier, I wonder how many people, you know, gave up or, or uh, you know, or despaired intensely because it seemed like it was going to go on forever. Yeah. Um, it's, and, and they should put point, it further man, out so you can see it. 
That, that, you know what? I hadn't even considered that. And that is a fantastic point of, of just the psychological factor of seeing the finish line. So I came in at just under nine hours. A guy finished an hour after me, you know, 10 hours. Poor guy. About, you know, th th that poor guy. And, and you know, the difference it would have been made to see that. And there was no support. Those last three miles out there. No Where way you would think there would nothing. be the most. Yeah. You know, the very last stretch in open water, greater amount of chop and all of that stuff that you're dealing with. That's where there needed to be like five boats out there. And there were yeah. not, there's not a one. There was one that was pulling up some kind of buoy and didn't really pay much attention to us. But yeah, you know, and, and so whenever we came around that and I saw that buoy, it, it was both the closest thing and the furthest thing away from me right. in my yeah. life. Because I could see it and I'm I'm thinking like, all right, I, it looks like it's right there, but is it really like 90 feet tall and I'm just that far <laughs> away from it because of the difference with the pier? I right. didn't know how far away it was. <laughs> Luckily, once I touched that thing, it was shallow enough to stand up. And man, what a sense of relief. I, I honestly, I didn't think I was going to finish. And that's mm -hmm. okay. Like I didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't go down there thinking like I have to finish this. And that was very different from a lot of the Iron Man's. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go down there and do what I can. And then once it became, let's just see how far we can go. And I think we both had said that at different points those last few sure. miles. Like, well, let's just see. Let's just keep going and see, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm thinking, like, well, if I quit, where the hell does Marcus go? He's still got to paddle back there, you know. So <laughs> I'm, I'm finishing one way or the other because I've got no choice. <laughs> <laughs> what else do? So um you know, re reflecting back on what I would do differently. So I would know if my watch was set to meters or yards to start. <laughs> the answer to that question, by the way, is it was set to yards because that's what the pool I'm swimming in. So had, when I hit 2000, I thought, man, I've overshot this. I didn't. I didn't even hit. So technically, I only swam like 12.3 miles. And mm -hmm. one of the forms I saw online, it says, well, how far is the race? It depends on who's holding the measuring stick. Because it, it's about, as long as you swim around the island, it's about that based on current right, channel. Yeah. But I would want to. And honestly, to, with the swimming against the current and stuff like that, technically you swam probably, for, like you moved more water than that. Yeah. But That's distance fair. on the surface of the earth was 12.3 miles. Yep. Agree. Agree. A thousand. You know what, Marcus, to your point, I probably swam 14 miles. <laughs> Is it, <laughs> really it easily? Easily. Yeah. That's what I tell myself. Um, so I would, uh, have now that I, now I have a better understanding of endurance swimming in salt water, what it does to the throat, and the mouth. Ooh. One thing I've read is mouthwash, just a little swig of mouthwash mm. every 30 minutes to an hour. will just help neutralize that salt where it's not going to eat the, the, the lighting of the mouth. Mm. Um, gosh, you know, I guess those are the main things finding like, like, I mean, I'm still, I'm sunburned. The jellyfish things on my head are, are starting to peel. And I, I'm looking like a lizard right now. I feel like Mike from Breaking Bad, you know, I've got all the liver spots, <laughs> they feel like liver spots on my head. Um, but but honestly, I wouldn't change a lot. Like another question that that, that uh, Marianne had asked me, um, she wanted to know about the physical, mental, and emotional endurance. And what did it, what does it mean to make a commitment like this? Um, and then how do I hold myself accountable? Mm -hmm. So the the reason I signed up for this was to to see if I could do it, like to challenge myself, right? Because I think so many times in life we are capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. And even though I'm not a David Goggins fan, I'm not going to run until I have shattered the bones in my legs and I'm peeing blood. But I I believe Neither that am I. I I believe that there 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 is something to be said for pushing yourself and for seeing what you're capable hmm. of. Um, so that's why I signed up for it. In regards to making the commitment to myself, I didn't commit myself to finishing. I committed myself to the journey. Mm. So I committed myself to, to seeing what it would take. And part of the, the thing, whenever, you know, I was a personal trainer and I had clients that would want to get in shape. Whenever we look at a goal as something outside of who we are, we don't really embody it. We mimic it. So from an acting perspective, Marcus and I are actors, it's embodiment versus mimicry. So if I, if I think that I'm going to pretend to be someone that can do this race, then my goal is to finish it just so I can say I've done the race. Right. If I truly embody someone who is capable of doing this, I'm going to enjoy the doing of it. Right. So it's the same thing. Like if someone says, I want to lose hundred pounds, well, great. Do you want to just be the person that's hundred pounds thinner? Or do you want to have the lifestyle and that be who you are as the person that lives that way? 
So yeah. the commitment to myself was to be the person who enjoys these type of challenges, whether I finish or not. Uh, and that's just one, one of the, the life lessons I took away from this too. Um, you know, another one being, I talked about this before, imperfect action is better than perfect inaction. Let's just start. We'll, we'll learn as we go, see what happens mm -hmm. along the way. The more present I was, the better I felt. Um, another thing that we kind of hinted on here is the fact that I wanted to quit but didn't. There are so many times in life where we may want to just quit what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We're not seeing the progress. It's hard. It's challenging. I don't want to do the work, whether it's at an actual job, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's financial, like I don't want to save, I'd rather go buy, like whatever, whatever we don't want to do, we want to just quit. Think about why you started. Like, like trust the process. Things are going to be challenging. Um, and another thing, let me, let me uh, add a little bit of insight from myself on that one is also that a lot of times your desire to quit is due to the static being generated by the frustrations you're feeling that are causing you to want to quit. And sometimes when you can take a step back and allow that to cool off for a little bit, things don't seem as bad. And you realize, okay, I can keep going. Because that's exactly what happened with you. Because when we were trying to flag down that boat, we ostensibly had kind of stopped. And you were able to kind of get your feet under you again. And you felt better to to move on like when we had when we first stopped and decided we're going to try to flag down this buoy boat um and it was unsuccessful but um you were ready to quit but then you were like you know what i've rested i've i've kind of got a new perspective but just because things have calmed down a little bit in the brain now i'm ready to keep keep going right? or i feel like it is more possible for me to keep going and i think that's another thing too is that yeah you, you have to let that buildup dissipate a little bit before you make any decisions about quitting. Yeah. And to, and I want to clarify, Marcus is talking about my metaphorical feet under me, not my literal no, feet. No, not your feet. feet. No, no. Like, yeah, so, so it wasn't like I'm standing up running to shore. Like, man, I feel better now. I'm not. <laughs> this is just, awesome. Yeah, just to clarify. <laughs> right. um, yeah. It's just when you, when you slow down, recenter and yeah. take a breath and say, okay, this is challenging, but I've got this. Yeah. And, and one thing that, that I find helpful is like, well, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> Which is why when it got to the cold, deep water, I'm like, could get eaten by a shark, Marcus. I'm scared. Like, <laughs> but, but, but at that point, it's like, well, what's the worst? I'm just going to keep going. The worst thing that can happen yeah. is you'll have to call 911 and lifeguard will have to get me. It's not to that point yet. So what the hell am I worried about? Right. So I didn't feel like I'm going to pass out. I just, it was uncomfortable. 90 degree water is uncomfortable. Yes. And had we been out of water, like we still had two gallon jugs of water. Yeah. yeah so we, we were out, out of water. Had we gotten to that point where it was no longer safe to continue, that's a different story. Mm -hmm. But but we we weren't there yet. We even had more of those trade wind packs. I could have shook up one for you or whatever. That's true. So we were, we were stocked still. Yeah. Um, you know, and another point I want to make is, is things aren't, things are how they are. They're not how you want them to be. Didn't matter if I wanted the water to not be choppy. Didn't matter if I wanted the tide to be flowing with me the entire 12.5 miles. Didn't matter if I didn't want the pier block and the buoy. The, the, the mm -hmm. things were the way they were. And as much as I hate the phrase, it is what it is. It also is accurate if you view it and say it correctly. If you don't, if you don't say it as an, absolvement of your accountability and say, right. well, it is what it is. If you simply say, no, thing, things, it is what it is. And you accept that. If you stay from a place of acceptance instead of um, denial of, of your part in it, then, then it, it actually works for you. Yeah. And it's the only way that you can interact with it is knowing what it is and not what it should be or what you want it to be or whatever. Like you can't navigate if you go with where you wish the thing was. Yeah. And another, um, you know, point that we've kind of already talked about here is no man is an island, even when you're swimming around one. So as much as we, we I just came up with that. <laughs> That's great. That's so, good. I like it. As, as much as we think I can function without anybody, I don't need nobody. We all need a support system. We mm -hmm. all need people in our life to, to help us. And especially in this day and age, of, you know, I think the loneliness, especially for men, is at an all-time epidemic high because 
First off, I'm not a woman. I have no perspective. But from what I have gathered, it's easier for women to make friends with other women. I'm not going to go on Bumble and click, oh, yeah, I'm here to make friends with other dudes. Like, girls have that. Guys don't do that. Like, it's much harder as a 44-year-old single male to go out and just make friends. So mm. having friends in my life is so important. And, brother, I, I love you. I can't thank you enough for being there for me for this and for just mm. trials and tribulations in general in life and, and how important that is for me. Well, I, I love you too, man. And and that's, uh, like you said, even if you did, you know, make new friends, how quickly can you get to a level of personal comfort with that person that you want to be able to share your vulnerabilities and your, and your things with, you know, like that's, that's not easy for people to do. Yeah. And, and so trying to have like you and I have known each other, like you said, for a quarter of a century now. And it's hard to find somebody that you met last month that you're able to do that much homework with to get to that point with them. Yeah. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, you, you end up having to sort of rely on these longstanding friendships because nobody else has that security clearance yet. Amen. Um, well, Marcus, again, thank you, not just for the race, but for your friendship and for, for doing this podcast with me. There's one more question that I have from Robert in Texas who asked, cool. did you ever have the urge to poop during the swim? And the answer is no, I did not. I me peed. either. I peed. Oh, good. Marcus is good. I peed a lot and I've been peeing yeah, a lot since that. Um, yeah. but no, I didn't poop, but, uh, thank you all for listening. I'm going to put some pictures of the, the things in the show notes in regards to like the actual course itself, some of the, the metrics of it and the links to the race. If you want to sign up, um, thank you for uh, Marcus and thank, uh, thank all of Absolutely. you for listening. For information on my personal or executive coaching, or if you would like to have me be a speaker at your next event, please visit my website at www.bergeronwellbeing.com. Make sure you like and subscribe to this podcast, and please leave a comment to let me know your thoughts or about any future topics you would like me to cover.